Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast along with JJ Cooper. I'm John Manuel from the Baseball America podcast nook. JJ Together uh, two weeks in a row. I know it's 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 something's going on here. I know it must be it won't be long. It won't be long before we're gone. Wasn't that what Berlin said? In something uh, there's something going on. I believe I, that was I, Berlin. I was going to say my my Berlin knowledge really is limited to the Top Gun soundtrack. Yeah, that's where they had the uh, take, take my, my breath, breath away. away. That was their big hit. I'm thinking of the other one. I don't. I'm not quite sure why I had Berlin on the brain, but it is good to do the podcast with you again. And this is not necessarily our first podcast uh, togetherness of the week, but we'll add together the other one. But we had a, a special guest, and we'll get to later in the podcast. Blake Snell, left-hander in the Rays organization, having a monster year. He's having probably the best year of any pitcher in the minor leagues this year, and fortunate that obviously AAA Durham in our backyard, and we talked about having him on the show previously this year and decided to, let's see if he gets to Durham, and then he got to Durham, and uh, we were able to actually do it in person. I want to thank uh, Snellzilla for coming into the office. He was outstanding. Snellzilla 11. Correct? Snellzilla 11 is also on it's his Twitter. It's also his uh, license plate, loud and proud, Washington Huskies license plate, and Washington Huskies fan. It was a lot of fun having him in uh in the office, we'll hope to have more player guests, as we hope to also have a more set podcast schedule coming up uh, in the rest of the minor league season. Now, one of the reasons that we've had Blake Snell on the brain is minor league player of the year. We're getting close to that, JJ. But it's kind of, we talked about this in a, in a BA Today, and we'll expound on it a little bit here. And we'll take some of your questions. Uh, obviously, podcast at baseballamerica.com. You can tweet at us. He's at JJCoop36. I'm at John Manuel BA. But one of the BA Todays we did was, in the year of the prospect, hasn't left much behind in the minor leagues. No. And I was actually on the radio in Rochester this morning with Josh Wetzel, their broadcaster uh, for the Red Wings. And, you know, Byron Buxton's back in the minor leagues for now. So we do have the best prospect in the minor leagues is Byron Buxton. Well, Corey Seager and Byron Buxton is a good combo. I would take Buxton. Yeah, I probably would take Buxton, but it's not a... He's been pretty good just in his rehab there in AAA. He's hit safely in every game, a couple three-hit games, great defense. It's not a runaway. Right. Um, but those two guys, I mean, there's prospects, there's talent in the minor leagues. But the top shelf guys, none of the top tier talents are having minor well, league player of the year caliber seasons. And we've been having this discussion in the office a lot because here's how we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think it's useful to go through again. When we're putting together minor league player of the year, it is not always going to be the person who had the best year in the minors. Chris Colabello, who we love here at Baseball America. We do, with good reason. But Chris Colabello, a couple of years ago, you could very well argue that he had the best season of anyone in the minors. He did it at AAA, upper level. He was outstanding that year. You're you know, among the leaders in, in many, many offensive categories. Chris Colabello was also, but our minor league player of the year is the best minor league season by a, a significant prospect would be the yeah. best way to describe it. Yeah. And there is a balance there. Now, we don't give it to the best prospect in the minors. That's what top, that guy's number one on the top 100 prospects list. We don't give it to the best season. It's a blend. And that blend has usually served us pretty well. It's funny. We were talking about this today. Matt Eddy and I were talking about it. It's like amazing when you look back at it. Delmon Young is not the best minor league player of the year. You know, like does not look back and go, "Well, that was." We the... nailed that one. Yeah, Mike Trout. We nailed that one. Delmon Young, a little less, but 
Delmon Young won it in 2005. And looking back on it, Brandon Wood, it's amazing to me that we did not give it in some ways to Brandon Wood that year because Brandon Wood that year had an insane season. But as much as Brandon Wood was a legitimate prospect, Delmon was a better prospect who had very good a, a very good season. Reached AAA. As a 19-year-old, I think. It was AA and AAA the whole year, whereas Brandon Wood, a lot of it was Cal League, and was 19 years old. And it's hard to remember, but... As athletic at at the time. Exactly. At that time, Delmon was skinny. We've got the pictures to prove it. He was skinny Delmon. He was athletic Delmon. He stole bases. He played defense. I know these things all sound crazy, but it was true. It was the same guy, I promise. But but what I'm saying, though, is, is that that balance... It works in there. Like, okay, in this year, Kyle Schwarber, why couldn't you have another month, month and a half in the minors? Why hast thou forsaken us, Kyle Schwarber? I mean, come on. Is it, isn't it better to have another month in Iowa than to be helping your team to a, a playoff spot potentially in the majors? I mean, come on. But How about this thought exercise that Matt Eddy emailed out to me today, our colleague here at BA? You know, how different would it be if this were last year's Cubs, where they weren't going for it, and they were like, what if, or what if last off season, if Joe Madden hadn't become available, would the Cubs have gone out and gotten John Lester? Would they've gone all in as they've gone this year? Um, they, would would, they, would Kyle Schwarber be in the minor leagues all year? He probably would be because they kept Chris Bryant in the minor leagues all year last mm-hmm. year and for six famous days this year. So clearly, the calculus has changed in Chicago. Kyle Schwarber's part of the reason why the calculus has changed, because he's such a good hitter. But 74 games, barely more than half of a minor league season. If it's minor league player of the half year, he would have been it. But it's not. It's minor league player of the year. I can't see him winning it. Obviously, I'm not the only one who decides it here. I have a sizable say in the matter. But I And I do think that we have the closest we've ever done to that, if you look back in past history, is... If you rewind and look back at Frank Thomas, but Frank Thomas had a much more lengthy minor league season that year. 109 games played for Big Frank that's that a, year. That's an entirely different thing. If you look back at it, I want to say in 04, mm-hmm. which was a tough one. I mean, that was one of the ones I remember that was one of our more contentious contentious ones. It was. I'm looking that one up right now. And Jeff Francis won it. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Francis beat out Ryan Howard. Unfortunately then, for us. And David Wright. And David Wright. And one of the arguments against David Wright that year was, if you can look it up. I got it. He played 91 games in the minor leagues that year. 406 plate appearances. Now, that which is 80 more than Kyle Schwarber has right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's like three, I think actually might be more than that. 300, I mean, yeah. Some, but yeah. Schwarber's plate appearances is low. But 406 plate appearances, 337 at-bats. David Wright had a minor league player of the year season. 341, 441, 605. I think if we we wanted to give it to David we, Wright we, that year. We, we were absolutely like when you said, who is the guy we want to give it to is David Wright. But we really came down to that year's, it's not it, we're, it's not a prospect award. There is a balance. And again, like on the, on the position player side, it would have been very hard to give it to David Wright when Ryan Howard hit 46 home runs that year in the minors. I'll be honest with you. I think that we screwed that one up. <laughs> Just that if we did it again now, like if Kyle Schwarber had 91 games mm-hmm. and a 406 plate appearances, we'd give it to him. Yeah, I think we probably would. But at that time, we definitely liked Jeff Francis as well. He was two years removed from being a first-round pick. He was doing it in double and triple A. He was a little bit firmer than you 
thought about. And he did go on to be a number right. one starter for a 2007 pennant-winning team right. in Colorado. But, but he I, wasn't I the right choice. That would pain me at the time. I'm not trying to say I've, oh, no, made, I've made many, many wrong decisions here too. No, it absolutely. But that you. one I remember. Was, I, were, I was, I was pounding the table for Ryan Howard. I wasn't pounding for David Wright because it did seem like I remember that meeting probably best of one of all these that I've been involved in. It's one of the ones I remember the most. But David Wright, we very quickly, I feel like, moved on from. It was like you know what? He didn't even have a hundred games. Moving on. Unfortunately, I think that's right because I, I do recall at the end trying to end run on David Wright and say like, "Are we really sure?" But I remember being the first one who capitulated on Jeff Francis in the office to the Jeff Francis. And I'll, my worry at the time was: Is Jeff Francis going to Coors Field? It's going to chew him up and spit him out. And unfortunately, that's what happened. But um, Coors Field was very difficult to not be. But 2004, Ryan Howard was 46 home runs in the minor leagues, and granted, he struck out 166 times. But 46, 46 home runs. Now, he was 24, and at the time, I remember, we were like, this guy's not a great prospect. They couldn't trade him. They have Jim Tomey. All but, those things. Which we leads just, to, this is, if you wonder why I had 46 home runs on the brain when I came in, I didn't look it up, but I looked it up just before we got in here because the interesting thing is, is that if you look at it, if you want to make the case for A.J. Reed, who's one of our top candidates, mm-hmm. A.J. Reed. The knock against him is he's a first baseman. Not, I mean, he's been a two-way player. He was a very good SEC pitcher. Yep. In addition to being at the time a DH. Now he's a first baseman, but a DH at the time. But if you're looking at the knocks on him, he's a first baseman, and the value is going to be entirely based on the bat. Right. That's it. Well, I mean, again, they're different players, but Ryan Howard, the value was very much the same. And the value was he 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 gave you a lot of value. You know, I know that he's a punchline now. But he was in a bad contract and all that stuff. But the dude hit 48 home runs for a World Series championship team in 2008. The guy led the National League and Major Leagues in home runs several times. He was a he would have gone down as one of the better winners of the Minor League Player of the Year award. Mm-hmm. He's had a better career than say Jay Bruce, mm-hmm. who was an easy Minor yeah. League Player of the Year. Jay Bruce is a better player, well-rounded now. Right, but you would, would down but, Jay but Bruce, at his but, peak, you would absolutely take Ryan Howard, even if. You exactly. knew that in the playoffs, Ryan Howard. Uh oh, they're bringing, they're going to the pen. Exactly. Uh, you, you, Ryan Howard. I would never be embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed that we chose Jeff Francis. He just wasn't the right choice. Right. Bottom line. So, but so th- this year, we want to make the right choice. This year we have uh, again. There are several candidates. We talked about Schwarber, Blake Snell. I think among pitchers right now, still a little left season to go, but he has a 1.24 ERA. And his peripherals to go with that. He's striking out more than 30% of the batters he faces this year. Okay, last I checked, he was second in the minors. First in the minors in ERA, and he is actually now tied for third in strikeouts. Which Jose very much depends on yeah. he, when he gets his next start, he'll move back up. Now, Jose De Leon doesn't just lead the minors in strikeouts. He's done it in only 99 innings, only 19 starts. Oh, Jose De Leon's striking out over 35% of the batters he faces. He's... He is the best in the minors. If you do like a 90-inning cutoff, he's the best in the minors in strikeout rate as far as percentage of batters faced. And Blake Snell's number two. Okay, and Alex Reyes doesn't have 90 innings, I guess. Right. So there you go. Um, Right, which there is. There are several pitchers who would be very interesting, but Luis Severino, Alex Reyes, it's going to be hard. Tyler Glasnow, they just don't have enough innings to really... it's It's hard to say... We should take that guy over Blake Snell when Blake Snell has right. better numbers 
And Blake Snell has legit stuff. Right, right. Uh, it's yeah. good stuff. It's four pitches. He's left-handed. The fastball has touched 97 repeatedly. Comfortable plus fastball plus changeup. And, and then, flashing above average or plus on the slider and the curveball. More the curveball, it sounds like right, now. Right. He's and I would say if you said both of those are 50s, okay. Let's right. just say, let's be very conservative. You say that, you know, scouts are throwing a 60 fastball, a 60 changeup, and a 50 on the break, two breaking balls. With The interesting thing is, is that he does walk a number of guys. But I do think part of that is when you look at how he pitches, there's a little bit of that, like when you talk about that control is, is somewhat a state of mind. Yeah. Blake Snell is a guy who, you can call it the Tom Glavin doesn't give in approach. You know? There is some of that. The other thing, that the, the best part to me about the command is the trends are positive. Mm-hmm. 6.6 walks per nine in his first full season in 2013 at Bowling Green. The next season was 4.2 walks per nine. This year's 3.7. And even within this season, 4.7 walks per nine at Charlotte. 3.8 at Montgomery, 2.4 in Durham. Granted, it's a short sample size, only four starts in Durham. But you you like that aspect of it. So to me, those are the two best candidates are A.J. Reed and, and Blake Stell, but there are other candidates. The, the, the interesting one that has made a, a push, and again, if you broke it down on pure value as far as A.J. Reed versus Lewis Brinson for yep. this year and said, which has done more for their team? Yeah. You could make a case for Brinson. Reed has had, they're both in the Cal League for a good bit of the year. Reed, to his credit, has been in double A longer than Brinson. Yeah. They're, they're Brinson, both... Brinson had been in so short that the last time I looked it up, his on base percentage was below his batting average. Right. But both of them spent. But it was a... still 370. Right. <laughs> both of them spent a good bit of time in, a lot of time in the Cal League, in great parks to hit. Both of them in great parks to hit. Right. But, and Reed, Reed has had a better offensive year there, you know, if you're comparing them as far as offensive years. But if you go and say, okay, well, let's throw the rest of it in. If you wanted to go minor league war. Right. Lewis Brinson is, at the minimum, a solid defender in center. You could, right. go, you could go more than that. But if you said that he is a solid average defender in center, and compare that to A.J. Reed, if you're being charitable, is an adequate first baseman. I think that's adequate. fair. That's fair. Because part of the reason being he hardly ever played first base in college. He was a Friday they starter. They wanted to save his time. They yeah. wanted to save his energy. So, yeah. But, so if you said that, if you said, okay, let's look at Lewis Brinson versus A.J. Reed, you can make a case for Brinson from the standpoint of, well, with Brinson, you're talking about a center fielder doing right. this who adds base running value also compared to Reed. All this, you put it all together. And then you throw it in again. You've got the you know the computer, Brinson. I know he's repeated, but I- the big issue for me with Brinson is that he's at high desert A for sixty four of those games, and B barely has more playing time than Shorebird. Now there are three weeks left in the year, right? He's but I do end think up- his season is definitely puts him in the mix because I mean he he's and he's younger of- than I mean again same level, but yeah, he's, he's younger than Reed. Correct. Yeah, by a year. Um, right, he missed some time, which does hurt him here. He's probably going to end up with around. He'll probably clear that 100 game hurdle, and get close to it. Yeah. And he'll probably be around 400 plate appearances when it's all said and done. So when you do, uh, Matt Eddie did a basically like an ops plus for top five prospect hitters. It was Schwarber with three minimum yeah, weighted runs created. Is what, yeah. uh, that's, okay, I'm sorry. It's, uh, so he's got minimum 300 plate appearances. Weighted runs created is Schwarber, Reed, Brinson. Max Kepler and Trey Mancini. 
which Mancini was the number 30 prospect entering, enter the year for the Orioles. College senior draft, right, right, first baseman, who's had a monster year. At the same time, I think he has, he's close to having more home runs than strikeouts. So, I mean, not strikeouts, walks. Close yeah. to having more home runs than walks. More home runs than strikeouts. Is, he, he that would be amazing. That would be DiMaggio. He, yeah, I was going to say, he pulled a DiMaggio. But um, Pujols has tried, you know, had a couple years where he tried to pull. That's the right. So Trey Mancini's had an outstanding season. Uh, he's already, I guess, he's twenty-three. It's a high A and double A. It's sixteen home runs, twenty-three walks. So a little bit better. A lot of doubles. Max Kepler's similar, way more doubles and triples than you're looking at uh, with home runs. Only seven home runs for Kepler, but. Walk and strikeout ratio is almost equal to 955 ops. He's done it all in double A. Certainly in a great Plays story. Plays a lot of positions. Yeah. Right. But, but another guy who hasn't played, hasn't quite played 100 games yet, hasn't been banged up, a little bit of a bulky shoulder, but is playing more outfield now than first base. Early in the year, a lot of first base. Excuse me. But um, those are the hitters, really, JJ. And the pitchers, like you said, Daly owns an interesting case. Um, Joe Musgrove has a very interesting case. Just got over 100 innings. By the way, still single digits and walks. We're talking about for two Joe different Musgrove. Astros who are in the yes in are, that mix. The Astros having a a very 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 good year in the minors. They have the best organization winning percentage, but they also you let's compare the Astros and the and the Blue Jays. They're both buyers. They're both division leaders now as we record this in Major League Baseball in the American League. The Blue Jays traded, I guess it was 11 pitchers. And they also and Dawel Lugo, so and Jose Reyes, so but their pitching inventory outside of Sean Reed Foley from last year's draft, it's hard to find other power arms with upside left in the Blue Jay system. Now they have position players, whether it's Anthony Alford or whether it's Dalton Pompey, or they have plenty of outfielders, and there's still some and obviously a lot of rookies in the big mm-hmm. leagues as well, uh, young players in the big leagues. So there's still position player talent there, but on the mound. It's it's thinned out significantly there. If you but trade eleven pitchers, it, it should. It's inevitable. <laughs> the Astros traded a lot of prospects. You know, they they graduated a lot of players recently as well. But you know, they their farm system still looks in better shape. One of our questions actually uh, sent to us via Twitter. Chris Stevens asked, "Is Mark Appel lost hope already?" I would say to the contrary, JJ. It seems like Mark Appel is just starting to figure it out. Right. It really depends on when you say lost hope. We talked about this, I think, on the podcast last week. Yeah. In that, what it really comes back to, what are your expectations? That's it. Manage if your expectations, expectations are a guy who could be a very useful member of the big league rotation, absolutely he's not a lost hope. If your hope is is that you think he's going to be that future number one who carries you to a title, and you say, man, if we have him and if we can, you know, if we can have him, we got our Madison Bumgarner is going to. You know, just carry us in games one, four, and seven. Right. No, that's that's not. I mean, that's probably at this point. Mark Appel, for as good as his stuff is, has a whole lot of games where pit hitters seem to get a good look at him. Yeah. Seem to square him up. This guy's not going to be. Let's just comp him to Garrett Cole, another Pac-12, mm-hmm. number one overall draft pick, guy who was a big deal out of high school. You know, Cole was a bigger deal. I don't think we ever thought that Mark Appel had the upside of Garrett Cole. I know I was down on Garrett Cole when he got drafted. I thought Trevor Bauer would be as good or better than him in the big leagues. Wrong-o. <laughs> yes. Very wrong. Very happy, as I told Garrett Cole in the fall league that year. Like, I just hope you prove me wrong. And he was like, I will. You know, very confident. 
but quietly and by the confident, way, again, and just a good dude. I just, I just felt like that the Pirates did a very good job. Absolutely, oh, that's a that's a huge point. Garrett Cole is just so much fun to watch. Jesus Christ, you know he's fun to watch. Mark Appel, frankly, is not, and it's not that the stuff isn't good. He's a little maddening because he's so inconsistent, J.J. Even from start to start, from inning to inning. He threw eight innings and gave up one run last night for Fresno really in Triple A. But he just isn't consistent. He hasn't been consistent as a pro. So like you said, if, the expe- if your expectations are, oh, he's going to be our Garrett Cole, you need to draw those down a little but bit. He's not even expe- going to be your Michael Waka but if stay in the expe- division. But if your expectations are that he's going to get, he could make 30 starts for you, be an average to a Above average ERA plus for that. Right. You could do that's. I think that's the range. And, really, and as we both, I believe, think of this in Strom, we trust. You yes, know, yes. Brent Strom is the big league pitching coach there in Houston. Look what he's done with Dallas Keuchel. Not look, all him. Keuchel, obviously, a huge part of the factor. Look what he did with. It was a very controversial. But if you wanted, if you're tracking Mark Appel's season last year, that's it. It was, you know, again, you don't want to put too much on it, but that tune-up where he stopped by Houston and angered the manager and some of the players, and who are many of them are not there anymore. Correct. Um, after that, he was better. I mean, again, he also got out of Lancaster, which he, he, I think, you know, he's very, very Daniel happy. Daniel Bard and the ghost of Lancaster pitchers just destroyed pass. Say, please. And Josh Bard, Hader's like, please. Josh Hader's like, I survived here. <laughs> That's right. I was good. Another guy they traded. Yeah. So, again, the depth of the Astros organization. Right. You look at the Astros right now, even after trading Brett Phillips, you know, and Josh Hader and, uh, uh, not Jacob Nottingham. Yeah. Domingo Santana. I mean, the thing about this is like Domingo Santana. They traded Domingo Santana. Domingo Santana is just on the edge of being a candidate, you know, in, in for minor league player of the year. Domingo Santana's PCL year this year. It was loud. Is insanely loud. Insanely loud. Surprisingly loud. But you look at them trading him and you go, okay, well, where was Domingo Santana going to fit? into the Astros' plans in the next three years. And it's hard to say how. It was very hard to say. And this is a guy who, like everyone remembers, he went 14 strikeouts and 18 at-bats as a rookie. He was better when he was in the big leagues this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think I've thrown this comp around. If there was a Nelson Cruz in this year's trade deadline, like a guy who you kind of uh, you almost had prospect fatigue over, he's not I mean, as Del- old as Cruz Nelson was. Cruz, the Nelson Cruz career has really gone after he was dropped Correct me if I'm wrong. But, but he passed through uh, waivers a couple times, I yes. think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he, teams and did not had, want Nelson Cruz. Having had, at times, flashes of, of very significant great greatness, maybe a little strong, but very much goodness in the right. minors before that. He's, I remember writing up my first year here, writing up Nelson Cruz in the in the Midwest League. Nice. Yeah. That's outstanding. I didn't know that. It was around my John Connolly features. Ah, there you go. Well, you can put it in perspective. <laughs> um but yeah, this this organization has a lot of depth, so I think there is still hope for Mark Appel. I don't think it's front line starter hope, but if Colin McHugh can be useful for the Houston Astros, and he's already won 13 games this year, I know he hasn't pitched as well as that, but he's taken every turn in the rotation. Mm-hmm. I think Mark Appel can be one of those guys, and I guess there's a small kernel of hope that he can be a front line starter. The history tells us, as you've Resources. Right. If you're going to be a star pitcher, you usually don't have this much, especially a college senior, you don't have this much time uh, again, in the minor leagues. The best way to put it is, is that, and again, there are exceptions, but Carlos Rodon's had a very solid, very interesting with his 92 mana. Where yeah. The great thing is, is that for Carlos Rodon is, is that Carlos Rodon's arm is now, he's doing what we saw at Carlos Rodon's 
Carlos Rodanius in, right. in the in right. college. Yeah, well, it was like an 89 mile an hour slider. You'd be like, now Holy it's 90. Now it's 92. It's uh, you almost wonder how much of it's the the when the slider is measured, but a part of it also is probably conditioning and big league coaching and all these kind of things. Right. But, you put yeah. that, but and then but again, Carlos Rodon. When we were debating last year, it was you know you had Rodon and you had Nola, and they're both there. Right. Right. You gotta go back a ways to when we were debating Appel. I mean, the first time we were debating Appel, again, a lot of those guys have you know are in your your two or three of their major league. I mean, that was Michael Walker year, wasn't it? 2012? 2012 yeah. draft? Was he or was he twenty eleven? No, I thought. He, I think he was twenty eleven draft and twenty twelve playoffs. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was twenty thirteen playoffs. I'll look it up to we're make old, sure. Our years run together. They they run together. That's exactly what's happening. But uh, the other aspect, I guess, of this, and there's another uh, Astros question we also have on Twitter. Uh, from Eric Gunderson, I don't think it's the same uh, left-hander. This is, spells his first name differently. Do the Astros see Vince Velasquez as a bullpen piece moving forward, or do we expect to see him in the rotation in 2016? JJ, the Astros are being very careful with both Lance McCullers and Vince Velasquez's innings this year. They're, they're, I think they see them both as they're going to be rotation pieces until they absolutely prove, prove they, they can't. can't. And here's the thing with both of them. What's fascinating is, is that the Astros notice that they're doing it in a much smarter way, I don't know how to put it, but a much smarter way than the Nationals did. Yes. They are in a playoff race. Right. Now, at this point, with the good thing for them being that the AL being what it is... That you, was the Waka year, by the way. 2012, Appel was the 8th overall pick of the Pirates, didn't sign. Waka, 2012, 19th overall pick. Didn't know how... Don't know how that happened at the time. Still, Still don't know, know how it happened. But and by the way, speaking about pitching staff, the Cardinals this year, it's just insane. It's ridiculous. But, but when you look at the Astros, the Astros are competing for a playoff spot. If they can get to 88, 89 wins, 90 wins, they should be there. Yeah. But they're doing it. They are doing it in a very much eye on the present and the future. Because they know the reality is is that next year's team should be better than this year's team. They're, they've sped off a, a kind of the, the, the process in some ways a year. Well, don't, but don't, would there be a little regression? You don't think to the mean? Like I think no, I think they'll most be a, teams I, talk about. No, I think that they will be a better team next year because I look at it to them like they're going to get a full year of Korea next year. They didn't get a full year of Korea. There's that. That's right there. And by the way, Carlos Korea next year, I don't know if he can be, but yeah. he should be better. I agree. Which is insane. The other thing is that the, the they should have a full. Well, you'd hope they have a full year of health of George Springer. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to figure out some of the guys who we thought maybe would be key pieces for them. Probably won't. Chris Carter, right? Probably won't be. And they have answers. They have replacements. You right. Know, we they could be talking depth. about. We could be talking about AJ Reed next year. Correct. Now they have they have depth of they have options. Right. So. Even even a guy like Preston Tucker in year two, maybe he's even you know they know even a little bit more because Tucker wasn't there at the start of the year. Right. No, you're right. They have options, and Velasquez is one of those options, and you know he made. McCullers nine is stars. fascinating to me because McCullers. There was a reason we've always said with McCullers. The question was: Is okay? Is he going to have a third pitch good enough? At this point, I think the answer is yes. I think at this point, I, I was never a Lance McCullers cannot start. I mean, just from people I talked to, you know, there was always some skepticism. Okay, I could see if you need him to, you put him in the pen. It's going to be hard to get him back out of there because he's going to be. Dynamite. Awesome, yeah. But he's already done enough this year. He has. I know he's had a bad last outing before they kind of slowed him down a little bit here and all, but he's done enough to where there is no reason that you don't let him try to be part of your rotation. 
Because he could throwing, be... He's just throwing so many more strikes now. And he could be... He's the kind of guy, more than Mark Appel, who you could see in a playoff game just blitzing through Beating good hitters. That's, mm-hmm. that's right. I mean, because, like you said, when he's throwing strikes, he gets awkward swings, bad swings. He makes good hitters look bad. Appel just hasn't done that consistently, you know. And yep. he has good stuff, but like you said, hitters see him. Guys are comfortable against him. And that's less the case, I think, with... Uh, and I think Velasquez... The, the, the key thing with Velasquez is, is that's going to determine this is, can he stay healthy? Right. And sometimes you can stay healthier in a starting rotation than in a bullpen. So, But that's been always... Vince, when Vince Velasquez is healthy and his arm feels good... He's always good. He's very good. I haven't ranked the Astros prospects in four or five years, but I was ranking him in the top ten... <laughs> When he was like I've in Happy League, that's it. We've the the Astros are like a secret that's been passed around a little bit. To, I think, to I quote think you they're too. coming back to me this year. Hopefully. They are. They are supposed to be coming back to you. Lastly, before we get to the Blake Snell portion of the program, Abe Jaros Jarosjewski. Sorry, Abe. I should have seen the Polish part coming. Abe Jarosjewski asks: Jorge Lopez making strides as a legit starter, or just a nice hot streak? Uh, JJ, we both think that he's really making strides. Right, and Brewers. we think we talked about it last week. We think the Brewers are making strides. Right, I, I think that you know the Brewers obviously are going to have a new GM before long, and that's interesting to talk about. This is a team. If you are a GM, <laughs> a rising, if you if you get a chance at a GM job, usually you take it. You know because yeah. it's a GM job. But beyond that, if you want a GM job that is both difficult because I mean you look at it, the NL Central. Is by far the best division in baseball. Yeah, no right kiddies, no no kids allowed. That's not the kiddie pool. That's that's the big boy division. I as I I, I don't know if it's true now. I know it was true coming in, during the weekend. The Cubs had the third best record in the NL Central. If you put them in the AL, they would have had the second best record in the AL. Now again, yes, the NL has some teams that are worse. The bottom of the NL. You'd much rather be playing the Phillies and the Marlins than really about anyone in the AL. Right. That's all fine. But the reality is, is that you look at the NL Central and the Cardinals are a terror. They are, and it's they're, amazing. They're, that's a triple. That probably, unless they put the foot off the gas, is a triple-digit win team this year. It's amazing how good they are, and their farm system talent is down. They've still won games in the minor leagues for whatever that's worth. But their farm system talent is down, and there's clearly this cloud over their scouting department where there's rumors over who they could hire as scouting director, but. Uh, still don't have a scouting director after the firing of Chris Correa. The whole, uh, you know, ground control controversy with them hacking the Astros. And yet, that organization is just, it's just like everything they touch turns to gold, JJ. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you look at it and you say, okay, yes, their farm system is down right now compared to what it was. Well, it should be. Look at how right. they graduated. I mean, you it's just amazing. look at it. And, and again, they're doing it this year. Matt Adams is not the key piece on that team, but they have lost a significant piece for a significant part of the year. Matt Holiday has missed a lot of time. Missed a lot of time. Obviously, no Wainwright. I mean, most teams that's, Wainwright I mean, would just be three, devastating. That's three significant injuries, and you go, okay, well, so yeah, we're only going to end up winning a hundred games, not a hundred and seven. I do love Carlos Martinez being kind of the guy that we thought that he would be, but also being this guy who's gone from. Starter in the minors, the reliever in the majors, and then built back up as a starter. And just he's just been outstanding this year. He's just been electric. He's he's another guy who's very very fun to watch pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely the, the energy, the stuff, the swings and misses, the way he makes good hitters look bad. And then Jaime Garcia, who's just like 
Just oh, I'm still here. Remember, Whenever I'm we healthy, said about Vince Velasquez, he's the left-handed Vince Velasquez. Exactly. You know, it's it really is the same thing. If I can be healthy, I'll be good. He's I still can't only, always be healthy, but he's I'll only be twenty-eight. Good. Feels older than that, doesn't it? <laughs> it's ridiculous how good but they back, are. But back to the Brewers. The Brewers are a team that right now, okay, they're the fallow period is going to happen for a little while here because they are at best right now. If you look at the next couple of years, it's hard to see how you climb above fourth. Someone could have a down year, but the Pirates are equipped to be around for a while. The Cardinals are equipped to be around. And the Cubs, and the Cubs. And the Cubs truly are a team that you say, they'll be better next year. The Brewers and Reds have significant challenges ahead of them in this division. Right. But the Brewers, if you said of those two, the thing with the Brewers is, is that we've gotten so used to saying with the Brewers, the Brewers do not have the contracts that the Reds have already in place right. that limit them a little bit. The the Reds team you see right now, unless they go into a full rebuild, you know, those are your those are your guys. Those are your guys. They didn't trade some of the other players. They, 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 Jay Bruce still red. Jay Bruce. I mean, but again, Roldis Chapman still red. If you want to change it up significantly in Cincinnati to change it up, you have to dismantle still before you can reassemble because you can't add uh, again unless. Uh, ownership there is willing to spend a lot more money than they've been willing to before. With the Votto contract, with the Bruce contract, with the Chapman contract, with the Homer Bailey contract, you know, all those guys, with the Brandon Phillips contract, which is still not, you know, it's coming to do soon, but it's still not over. Not soon enough. Right. <laughs> all those, this is the team you have. Compare that to the Brewers, and the Brewers have done a lot to really help their farm system, and the Brewers do have a little bit more. They still have some moves. They have to figure out, okay, you know what? Was that... Did we get about a good month or a half out of Segura, and that's really all we got? And so right. Orlando RC is our shortstop, and we should try to get pennies on the dollar. Right. You know, there's questions they have to do like that. Correct. But they do have a whole lot of pieces, and guys who are not that far away. Back to Lopez. Again, when we talk about Lopez, I do think... I don't think he's a frontline guy. Right. But... Do you think? Do I think that he could give them a third guy? I mean, really, fourth guy, I guess, right now of homegrown pitchers in that rotation. Very possible. And Jimmy Nelson. I mean, that's the thing is that the Brewers had a long stretch there where they had significant difficulty developing homegrown pitching. Right. Those Giovanni Gallardo those and Ben Sheets, Giovanni Gallardo, and that was about it. And now you look Mike at Mike Fires, I guess, is technically right. homegrown. And you look at it now, and you go, "Okay, Jimmy Nelson, Willie Peralta, Willie Peralta Taylor, Taylor Youngman." Young. And again, Lopez is in Double A, back end guy before too long. Hopefully, that's that gives you some pieces because those guys are all relatively young and still inexpensive. Yeah, I agree that there are some pieces to to, to work with there for the Brewers. And then uh, the other thing that at least they're not Cincinnati. Cincinnati apparently the smallest market in Major League Baseball by size of market, even smaller than Tampa, which I didn't uh, really even. That doesn't surprise me because Tampa St. Pete. Pete there, you know. I guess it is. Uh, to, and you do get do some, some bleed over from Orlando almost. Got to do some uh, demographic breakdowns there. But uh, Tampa has always fought this fight, um, and the, one of the ways they've combated this is. Scouting player development, their 2011 draft class, much discussed at the time, 10 picks in the first 60, and we've panned it a little bit since then, but Blake Snell is one of the members of that 2011 draft class, J.J., and it was the 52nd overall pick. I think he was the seventh of their 10 draft picks that year. Mikey Montick's broken through to the big leagues. Taylor Grary still gaining acceptance. 
Well, makeup He's going to be a there. slow guy to get there, but That's if he it. gets there, it could be pretty special. That's right. Jake Hager, solid guy, probably going to be a utility guy. Um, Blake Snell's been the breakout guy from this 2011 draft class, and he's had as good of a season as any pitcher in the minor leagues has had. And I would argue he's had the best season of any minor he's league pitcher this year. He's had one of the best seasons so far that, again, not done with it, but it's hard to find a better year in the minors. Yeah. In, in recent minor league memory. And it'll be hard for us and to find... And our recent minor league memory is like 20 years. longish, that's right. And it'll be harder to find a better interview that where we had more fun just sitting down with a player, getting to know him a little bit, and really getting into some issues uh, at some length with uh, Blake Snell. So we're going to bring you some of that now. And uh, again, in the future, if you want to hit us up with questions, he's at JJCoop36, I'm at John Manuel BA. We'll he hit also, us up on Twitter. And we'll also throw it out there. We love setting these up. You know, yeah. I know agents like to do them. You know, you help us out with them. Feel free. You've got, you know, again, you've got us also, J.J. Cooper at Baseball America, John yeah. Manuel Baseball America. We, you know, we love talking to players. Absolutely. So enjoy Blake Snell. We'll see you next week on the next podcast. We got to see a couple of debuts here, you know, a recent, like last night against you guys last week was his second AAA start. Thing that, you know, so, you know, obviously you haven't had a thousand AAA starts or anything like that. But one of the things that jumped out to me is watching, I was at that game that Glasnow's had and there are a couple of those pitches where it felt like he threw right to where he was, you know, like that was the pitch where he wanted, ball one or ball two. Yeah. And it does seem like, I mean, that as you go up, does the strike zone, does it feel like it gets, I mean, have you had, you get to double A or you get to triple A and it's like, okay, I've got to make an adjustment because that pitch is no longer what it was. I mean, or does it just depend on the ump? Uh, it really depends on the ump. I feel like the key thing is not to get frustrated with the zone because that's something you can't control and, that's something I'm working on right now is not getting upset when I feel like it's a strike and they call it a ball. But I it's feel like, hard. It's like you, you, you did your pitch. You did exactly what you wanted to. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of got to think about the next pitch. You can't really think, oh, my God, this guy is horrible. <laughs> you just have to think, all right, that wasn't a strike. Let's throw this next one for a strike. And uh, I think it's just like learning that each ump has his own zone. He might be – Two inches in, two inches out, for a lefty righty is going to change. So you got to understand what the ump's going to call, and you got to kind of try to make him expand it. And you've also got to, yeah, you got to kind of demonstrate that that pitch in inning four might be what you wanted, but you don't get it in inning one because you haven't shown that you're doing it. Yeah, no, that's oh, he's what he's wanting to do. And then you can slowly go more out and out or in and in, and then he might start calling that. And he might favor you. And I have to imagine the AAA hitters also. And that's the biggest difference, probably, is that those hitters are a lot more selective, yeah. generally than your. I mean, is that the other part of the equation from that at that standpoint? But your last start, obviously, five hitless innings. So I guess you're making the adjustments <laughs> pretty pretty well. For, so I guess the, it's a two part question. I guess first off, how how much more selective are those AAA hitters? And second, what has been the adjustment you've made to be successful so far at AAA? Uh, well, I would say. The hitters are they, they they look for a pitch that they want. So if you can get ahead on them, I feel it's it's a little easier from away because they're so locked in on that one pitch. They're still focusing that zone because generally, yeah, because it's zero zero count. They they can. I think how their mind works is they can take a couple pitches because I might make that mistake. Gotcha. So my whole goal is to try to find out what they can hit, and then just shy away from it the first two pitches, and then might go to what they're looking for because they don't expect it. Right. And then, yeah, so making the adjustment from double-A to triple-A, I didn't feel I had to make a huge adjustment. I just felt that I needed to keep my confidence and keep just trying to throw strikes. Those things, like you said, I mean, I, I'm sure it's it's every organization, but it seems like it's the Rays, especially. 
I just was reading what we wrote about you in 2013 in May, you and Jeff Ames and Taylor Greary off the great start with the Hot Rods. And uh, Jared Sandberg's quotes were, like, very inconsistent, but from when he has fastball command, everything flows from there. And I'm sure that's still a big part of it. And you mentioned the other part of it, I guess, being just composure on the mound, main, controlling what you can, you know, controlling your controllables, those kind of things. Are those still the other big focuses for you right now? Yeah, it's weird because when I was in low A, I was focused on something completely different from when I went to high and then went to double A and then now being in triple A. Every year, there was, like, something I had to get a lot better at. Hmm. And now I feel being in AAA, I gotta, my composure has to be better. I can't show my emotions. I have to be – I have to look like I just don't care. Because I feel <laughs> that gets in the hitter's head, like, okay, this guy doesn't even care. And I feel that makes it even – it's better because they don't know how to get into your head. They don't know when they got you. They don't right. know. So that makes it a lot harder for them. And especially when you watch, like, Archer pitch and Price when he was here and – you could you could tell that nothing phased him at right. all. So that was kind of cool to know. I have to do all of this to be a complete pitcher for the race to think that I'm ready. That's it's, there's a little bit of poker to it. I mean, yeah, because it? it's like it doesn't matter. It matters more what they can see even than what you're going in through your head. Is is if they if they know if they like look at you, you can't get in your head. That's winning the battle. Yeah, and if you, it's got to be the same way that if you see you can get into a, a batter's head. Okay, come back up the next time. I know yeah, got the you. best is when they when they they yell something out loud or they throw a helmet or their bat and you hear the bat rack because then you know they're done. <laughs> they're, they're done for the rest of the game. They're, they're checked out. They're not they're not there no more. So that's kind of my goal is make it look like I don't care. So when they go in, they're like they don't even know what to say. They just get all mad and then you know next at bat you can throw them anything. He's already mad. So usually. If I see him that mad, I'm gonna throw something that I think is gonna—he's gonna see as a strike right down the middle where he can hit a home run. He's gonna miss it, and then he's gonna get even more mad. <laughs> okay, that one he was trying to hit 500 feet. Now he's trying to hit it—he's trying to hit it over the the bull and then over the you know the building beyond the bull. Yeah. Okay, perfect. You know, I love you. that though. I love the, you, the those sounds of the game that we as fans or media talk about. The the opposing hitter rattling around the bat rack—that's not a sound I usually think to hear, but. That's a sound, a definite sound of frustration, I guess, that you want to hear. Yeah, it's uh, it only helps you. That's like if you see the pitcher on the mound throwing a tizzy fit, throwing th- throwing stuff around, having his emotions just all out, so everyone can see. Hitters go, "We got this guy. He's done." I, I just was hearing uh, we were at USA Baseball's complex yesterday. They were talking about a pitcher who fell apart in a game, cost the team a game, and they knew it was coming beforehand. And they were just those tells, I guess. I mean, like, what's another tell, I guess, of a hitter who's in at bat? Where you does it have to be an eye roll, or is there something physical always? That, or is there another tell? Like, are there certain hitters where, like, even just the way they step out between pitches, where you can tell uh, you got them going? Usually, you can tell when if you get a called strike that they think's not a strike, and they're like, "Come on!" Come <laughs> on. And then what? My whole goal is to throw something that looks like the exact same pitch, just a little off. Because he might swing for it, and then he's going to get even more mad at the umpire. Exactly. Because he's still thinking about the last And then he's strike. focusing on the wrong – he's focusing yeah. back there when he should be you – know, Yeah, you've got him then too. he got his attention off of what you're throwing, and he's just – he already struck out because he's already talking to the ump about how terrible strike one was. <laughs> Looking back, I, I, I did, you know, we obviously do a little research. Your high school team was pretty special. Three yeah. – <laughs> only three guys ever drafted – you know, from your high school, same year. I mean, it, it wasn't just you. 
Would you, but when you look at where you were as a high school pitcher, how are you the same and how are you different now, you know, as we're talking four, you know, four plus years later? Uh, I would say I'm the same because I still have fun. I still just enjoy playing baseball. And none of it, I feel like I'm just an average guy just playing the game, just having fun. I feel like it's still high school and, uh, changed uh well i'm a lot better at pitching <laughs> <laughs> i'm guessing in high school you you know just rear back and throw and yeah, it was going to work out for you i had well. a good fastball yeah. okay that's about it i had i mean i could call it a curveball i could call right. it a change up but there were facing, ideas yeah, of, you're yeah. facing guys that are just there to have fun like so all i had to do is throw it as hard as i could and hopefully they missed which most of them are going to miss because they're just playing baseball to have fun just like I was. And they were already probably thinking, like, oh, crap, you know. Yeah, they were already defeated. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my, you know, I, I remember my, my, I'm old, my brother is a little younger than me, but he faced John Rocker when he was throwing 95 in high school from the left side, and he was like, like you, 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 by the time you step in the box, all you're thinking of was just, don't please don't me. kill me, please yeah. don't kill me. <laughs> you know, I, you know, you, you buzz one in, they're like, they're, they're not digging in, uh, real, uh, Real firm. Yeah, you could throw it. And the strike zone was probably as round as his table. <laughs> it was huge. Effectively wild. Your, your, your wildness at that time was probably an asset. But then, like, that's one of the things we noticed with the Rays is that they do – I think J.J. even asked you about this a little bit earlier. They take it slow. It's like a, it's like a Pixie song or uh, to a Pacific Northwest reference would be Nirvana. Like, it's just yeah. the quiet, quiet, loud. It's like slow, slow, fast with the Rays. But, I mean, like, that has to be frustrating early in your career. I mean, you sign, you know, you get the signing bonus for you. You're fortunate. You got drafted high. You got a good signing bonus. You can buy whatever Jordans you want, you know. Um, but then you're in the GCL. Then the next year you're going to extend it for probably what seemed like forever. Yeah, How difficult of an introduction is that to pro ball? Is extended the toughest part of when you're starting pro ball and having yeah. to go to the Appy League? Especially when you think, like, you're going to get drafted and you're going to go play in front of fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There ain't even a fan. I mean, I was going to say, in a GCL game, you are, I mean, yeah. zero. No, if you see a fan out there, it's not a right fan. It's, <laughs> I don't know who wants to watch those games. And, uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was hard. But I had I was really lucky and fortunate to have college guys as my roommate. Because so, I remember the fr- when I got drafted, first thing I bought was, like, popsicles and, like, <laughs> Candy, like nothing that was good for me at all. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Popsicles? I was gonna say like Hummer or like you know nope. something for your parents. Popsicles was so, the first thing you bought with your well, parents. I mean, so. But this awesome. was your first time out on your own though too, right? Yeah, I mean, like I, I all of a sudden you've got to figure out how to how to eat. Yeah, I was in high school. I was like eating peanut butter and jellies when I was at home and making cereal. And then I go, "Oh, you expect me to make like a full course meal? No." <laughs> Popsicles, drumsticks, any kind of candy I could find. That was. That who was, who was your roommate at the time? Who's like, no, 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 hold on. If you want I to had, stick around along. I had three guys that really helped me. It was Zach Butler, Dan Bream, and Theron Geith, hmm. and they were all. Uh, they all helped me, kind of like they'd always just look at me and laugh. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, kid? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And then they would make me food and they kind of help no, me here, out. No, yeah. you need protein and you need, you know. Yeah, they kind of like said, I don't know what you're doing, but don't eat that stuff. <laughs> that's so, that's fantastic. Yeah. That is a good story. The first thing you bought, popsicles and drumsticks. <laughs> I, I'm going to remember that one for a while. Yeah, it was, uh, it was 
it was an experience. And then, and plus the heat, the GCL heat from the Pacific Northwest. First day I got down there, I'm in a black polo and jeans. Worst mistake of my <laughs> life. I walk in there, I'm about to pass out. I, I just came from Seattle where it's just starting to get hot. And when I say a hot 75 degrees, right. I come out here, it's 100. I'm like... You got the heat index of 120. Yeah, I'm talking about that. Like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> and the games, and the games are like at one in the afternoon, right? Aren't they, yeah, they're it's day right games. It's hot. Not like you're playing any night games to cool things off. Or a, a morning bit. game. Like, who wants to be out there at 110 degrees with all that humidity? It's not fun, but and it's Groundhog Day too, isn't it? Because I mean, nothing changes. You, I no, mean, it's the same thing every day. You just hope you don't play on the road. So you're so when you got to the Appy League, it was like, oh my god, fans! <laughs> it's not a one o'clock game. The Appy League probably seemed like heaven, even yeah, though it was the Appy League. League. Truthfully, I liked the Appy League. It was yeah. like a high school like kind of vibe. It was it was fun. It was uh, my first like time actually seeing fans in the stands. So right. I was like, this is I get used to this. And those fans are into it. Those yeah. are, those people are those guys are invested. We have Burlington's right down the road here. I went yeah. to a game in Bristol last month, Bristol, Virginia, and. Mm-hmm. It's a cool little, you know, all the woods around that ballpark. It's a cool little field. I mean, you guys were at Princeton, I Princeton, guess. Yeah. I mean, what's a, you know, the, the community's invested there, right? They care. Yeah, because that's Princeton Rays. That's really all that's there is that baseball field yeah. and that team. And you get a, a good amount of fans, and it's it's cool. I mean, was that host crazy. families or was that, uh, did you have your own place? We had host families, but we lived at a hotel. So hmm. I really enjoyed living at a hotel. And then. <laughs> My roommate was Oscar Hernandez, who's now oh, in the big leagues with the Diamondbacks. But he was one, he was one, the catcher I had um, in Princeton, and then my second year in Bowling Green. And he had some good catchers there because he was him <laughs> second year in Bowling Green. You had him, and then uh, Arises uh, really good too. Arises good. They're all, yeah, we have good catchers and all, up and down everywhere. They're all. Good. I was gonna say you've thrown to Justin O'Connor. I mean, there's some good Maylie. Maylie's it. Yeah, I mean. Backups are just as good as the starters at catching. So, how much is? I mean, you as you've said, it was slow, slow. Now it's fast. Thankfully, you know, you've been in an organization a few years. You probably know these guys a little bit. But there's got to be a little bit of, hi, I'm your new pitcher. How long does it take to get on that same wavelength where you're out there and when he's calling it, you know, okay, we're locked in. He knows what I want. I know what he wants. It's funny because I had Maley and Loe. With O'Connor, all the way up, and I had Oscar Hernandez and Ariza. When I, or right, if you're a roommate with a guy, you're going to get on that wavelength. Though. Yeah, so I had them all the way going up. So I didn't even have to get on a wavelength. I already got all that out in rookie ball and low A. Right. So when I went to high A, I was completely fine. When I went back to high A, completely fine. Double A, triple A, completely fine because they already know who I am, and they already remember what I do. It took maybe one game to get back on track, and then. We, he could see what I could, what right. I can do, what works. What oh, hey, the changeup's a little better. Or, hey, the breaking ball, you know, okay, I'm going to use that a little bit. Yeah, no so they made the adjustment, and then I tell them what, what I kind of want to do. And then as the game goes on, we kind of make adjustments throughout the game on what's working, what's not working, what just popped up. So there's a lot that goes into it. But the higher you get, the better the catchers get at talking to you and understanding what, what we want to do for each hitter. Because just like when the hitter goes in and tells all, all the guys on his teammate, this is what I saw, this is what he has, we want to know what the hitter, what we think the hitter is going to be looking for, what we think he's not looking for, or what we can attack that he's just not going to get to. The other thing that seems to have changed with that, even in your time in the minors, is 
now even in AAA, I mean, you're actually, I mean, the scouting reports and all, it's a lot more in-depth. Especially get, with the Rays. I mean, you guys are a data-driven organization. This is an analytics organization. Yeah. I just remember three, four years ago going in the Bulls locker room and saying, man, they all have iPads. So the amount of information I got, I guess, because you were had the same way yeah. I was thinking, the amount of information you probably get at every level and that you and your catcher have to go over probably increases at every level because you guys shift like crazy here in, <laughs> in Durham, too. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, it's, it's funny because we do shift a lot, but I feel when you see the shift, you should know. you got to pitch to this guy's strength because you want him to hit it that way. That's it. So when you throw away from a guy and we have him pull, he's just going to he's gonna try to pull it, but it's going to end up going the other way because you're throwing away from him. Gotcha. And if he pulls it, I don't know what he's thinking, but that's just <laughs> who he is. He's a pull hitter, so make him pull the ball. Right. And there's going to be so many guys on the right side of the field or on the left side of the field that – it's going to be your advantage. So I enjoy the shift because I just pitch to the batter's strength. Right. But it's it's kind of crazy to see how much stuff that we have and just I don't even look at it anymore. It's huh. so much that I just want to look at the batter, see what I see, and I'm going to go off of that. And your catcher, if there's something that you're not doing that your catcher, you, you rely on that catcher to remind you, hey, by the way. We're like, but I also like the idea, you know, the phrase you used, you have to pitch to the hitter's strength in some ways, but that's still it's strength against strength. It's an aggressiveness to that mindset that I kind of like, actually. Yeah, it's kind of just, I don't know, I feel that I have a lot of good stuff to throw at a hitter to where hit it. If you hit it, who cares? That's it. It's hard to hit. Yeah. I'm going to make you do this very difficult thing. And, oh, by the way, especially if there's a shift that I have three <laughs> defenders I trust on, on this side, side of the infield. Yeah. So if you hit it over there. Just walk back to the dugout because if you hit it through <laughs> three infielders on one side. If he hit us through that, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's good for him. Yeah. With that also, how much does the little things uh, – you obviously are focusing. I mean, it's, it's not just locating. It's not just pitch sequencing, but those are obviously huge. But when you go, you know, over your time in the minors, how important – does it get more important? Pickoff move, holding runners – you know, those kind of little things too? Or is it something where that's kind of something you had, you know, when you were in low A? I mean, does it feel like you're you're different when it comes to being getting quick to the plate, things like that as, as well, or is it pretty much the same? It's, uh, no, it's not the same. Because in high school, my pickoff move didn't exist because they thought I was the greatest pitcher in the world. I had zero pickoff <laughs> move. If I stepped well, off, that was my pickoff. <laughs> I'm not throwing over there. But, um, no, as I as I – when I started with the Rays, it was a lot of holding the ball, changing your looks. or Don't let them get comfortable. Yeah, you, you don't want them to be able to time you and then they can get their jump and steal second and have a smile on their face. No, because now they're even more confident when they come to the plate. I just got on base. I just stole on this guy. I own this guy. <laughs> no, I'm going to hold the ball. I'm going to get you frustrated. I might hold the ball just until you say time. Because mm-hmm. the batter, he, the batter's trying to time you. So if you are in a rhythm every time throwing, he, You're making him he, comfortable. he's timed up now. And if I hold the ball and just sit here or I hold it and I count to three in my head or four, I'll start counting my head. I don't care if you want to. And sometimes I'll just hold it just because I don't want to pitch. So I'll just hold it until you say time or he shows me he's trying to run and I'll just pick off. Or it's a bu- I, I feel it's a bunch of changing your, your looks, holding the ball, and having just a, a move to show from lifting your foot and throwing and stepping off and throwing. 
So they have to look at both. Right. So they don't have something that they can just focus on. Okay, I'm going to look at his back. You know, I'm going to look yeah. at his front foot. And if no. I'm a one three, one four to the plate, and I'm changing my holds, and you're going to try to steal on me, good luck. Again, the, the, the whole part, so much of that is control. And again, you have guys like O'Connor and all also. Yeah. Who... O'Connor has an absolute <laughs> cannon. I was so. like, good, good luck, period, going <laughs> on him. But I mean, that, there is that aspect of control. I mean, you've got the ball. Yeah. So if you don't want to pitch, I don't have to, you don't yeah. have to pitch. You can just it's, hold it. But Until you reach AAA, when then the clock now counts down. Yeah, but it's cool. I mean, the clock will. But if you're in the stretch and you hold it, the clock goes off and you just doesn't matter. I can hold the ball. I could step off and laugh at the guy and then throw it over. I mean, <laughs> it's As long as he doesn't have something to time you up on and go, you'll be fine. Except for the extreme base runners. Those guys are just, they're good. Yeah, the they're Terrence Gores. Go, the, yeah. who, who's, the, who's the best base runner you've... Malik Smith. Malik oh, yeah. Smith. He's... Hands down. He, uh, he steals. He could be on the bag and he'll steal like that. He don't even need a lead. The, those guys, I mean, there, there's, there's... You almost... You have to enjoy greatness in some ways, even if it is against <laughs> right. you in some ways. Because, I mean, you know there are guys who, okay, you know, if you're ever facing Billy Hamilton in the big leagues and he gets on, you know there's only so much I can do. Yeah, I'm going to pick off like 20 times and I'm not going to play. As long as if I pick him off, I'm the happiest man in the world. <laughs> See, that's what I like about this. This is best tools. Time of year, we're really not our best tools. I was going to ask you about a couple of those just for other players, but in your own organization too. But And you mentioned O'Connor. I mean, is Justin O'Connor the best Throwing catcher or any position guy that you've seen? Is that the best say, arm you've seen? Yeah, I would say he has the best arm from behind the plate that I've seen, and that's by a long shot. <laughs> okay. And I saw, I think it's Alvarez from Norfolk. He has a really good arm. Yeah. Uh, now Phil Darling. Yeah, yeah, I think Alvarez. he won the AAA uh, best He arm. did. Outfield. Yeah, he should. Uh, he has an absolute cannon. And uh, Dayron Verona is an outfielder in our double A. He has a really good arm, too. All right. How about, and he has Malik Smith for base running. Yeah. Um, I, now, Jacob Ferrier, one of your draft mates, mm-hmm. was a teammate in double A, I guess, in high A, start the year. And Princeton, and uh, when I went back to Bowling Green. All the so. way through, because you guys the same draft class, NGCA. 2011 draft class. Yeah. So, now he got votes. I think you won best changeup in the Florida State League to start the year. and But he got a couple votes as well. Um, who are some other, like, Rays farmhands that, you know, best fastball, changeup, breaking ball. I know you're in the mix for all those. Paul Kirsch is always telling me you're signing scout. Whenever I text him about, you, he's like, best fastball in the organization. You know, so yeah. he he's got you in that mix. Who are some of the other guys, other Rays uh, fans uh, can watch out for for uh, on the pitching side, especially on that uh, maybe from that 2011 draft class. Even to you guys had so many guys in that draft class yeah. who would fit into that. Yeah, I didn't feel like a first rounder. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but. um yeah, it was, uh, let's see, um, I know Austin Pruitt has a really good curveball, really good. And that's kind of where I, like, I play catch with him, and I, that's how I learned. I was going to say, do you, nice. I mean, how much do you, like, there is a lot, I mean, when you're teammates, there's a lot of sharing, like, especially you find your throw partner and all, like, okay, can I pick a little bit up on the curveball yeah. from you? Yeah, because I, I learned the curveball from Dick Bosman. We really, after the 2013 season, we really worked hard on Finding a better release. I changed how I threw it. What, what did you do before? I mean, we'll get a I used to throw no, it. We'll get a baseball. Uh, yeah. We'll go get a baseball. We got, there's one sitting in my desk, that Atlantic League red, white, and blue ball. Yeah, but I used to throw it on this finger, and it was just a real, like, loopy curve ball that was, like, 68 miles per hour that 
Didn't look like a fastball coming out of my hand. We don't usually have props for our podcast, <laughs> but that's okay. But so what were so your old one was? My old one was like, let's see, I was like to remember, yeah. something like this, and hmm. I threw it off of this finger. And so you just slow yeah, curve this that. finger. I never like thought about well, I should know my fingers, which I should. <laughs> I'm a pitcher, and this finger isn't as strong as this finger, so I'm not going to get as much spin on the ball as I need. So when I threw it like this, it was loopy and it didn't look like a fastball coming out. And right, and that's the up. thing when yeah. you're when you're high school, pe- you know, kids think yeah, they that they know. want you know, oh, the more break I have, the better. But yeah. it's actually just telling the batter. Yeah, that. but those batters ain't going to tell you nothing yeah. because it's they're not is they're on the same level mm-hmm. as you. So, but knowing your fingers, I mean, like knowing which is your dominant finger, which is the stronger finger. Like you said, you kind of should know that, but that's. Probably never thought about that when you're nice. Yeah, but I started throwing it like this because it's a four-seam spin, and this is a really strong finger to throw it off of. So I I felt like I could throw it like a fastball, could come out like a fastball, and the spin that I would get and the spin that I would pick up on it would make it that much more effective because I have a really good fastball that stays through the zone, and I have a curveball that can just drop directly out of the zone. So I feel that's what... I learned throwing with Pruitt was he stayed on top of it and really finished over the top to make it spin as a forcing down, which I was working on with Dick Bosman. But when I got to double A this year, I really could focus on how he was throwing his curveball mm-hmm. and how just by seeing his arm slot where he's throwing, I kind of like adjust myself to throw it the same way. Thanks again to Blake Snell for a very illuminating interview. We'll be back next week with another Baseball America podcast.